open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a wonderful interview today about the store of value with Seyfedina Moose, author of the Bitcoin Standard and an Austrian School of Economics economist. Welcome back to the podcast, Seyfedina. Thank you, Trace. So when we're looking at store of value, hardness of the money is kind of a critical principle or factor or element of it. What do you mean by that? Like, what does this mean, like hard money? Yeah, I mean, as as we discussed in uh, the previous episode, I think the issue, uh, the the way that I see it is the it's the difficulty of producing more supply uh, of the currency as a response to the rising price because of the increase in demand for the currency or the money uh, in order to be held as a store of value. So, you know, the monetary demand is on top of the market demand for the good itself, and so therefore it raises the value of the good. That incentivizes the production of more of that good, which brings the price down. So the things that are hard to make end up being the things that hold value over time. And so either because people think of this and understand it and then choose to put their money in the hard things, or even if they don't, you know, economic reality will devalue their savings if they were elsewhere and will make their savings appreciate if they were in the harder harder money. That inevitably, that dynamic inevitably uh, leads to uh, value accruing to the hardest money, I think. And so this, this is about stock-to-flow ratio, not necessarily overall scarcity. Yes, exactly. It's essentially about how much the new production can be significant as a chunk of the existing stockpiles. In other words, how much new production is significant in the market, in, in the day-to-day market. So with monetary metals, and the more of a monetary premium a metal has the more of its transactions are monetary, are with the purpose of paying somebody or using it as a store of value, accepting it as a store of value or giving it to somebody else who accepts it as a store of value. So back in 2012, I was having lunch with Dr. Adam Back and we were talking about his new innovation of side chains and also about like the monetary policy of Bitcoin and how it's kind of built into it. And Dr. Back, he had, you know, because he had worked on DigiCash and been involved in these virtual currencies, and he was talking about how they were, you know, in these earlier experiments, he was trying to build monetary policy into, into the coins, but Satoshi decided to do the opposite and just keep the supply fixed, and and that was actually a very clever, elegant solution to it. And I was like, well, why didn't you do that? He was like, well, it just didn't occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you can talk a little bit about about this, like yeah. how how the difficulty adjustment algorithm just is Bitcoin's monetary policy and how it's so elegant and yet enforces this hardness of money. 
Yeah, uh, for me, I mean, I think I think uh, I, I call difficulty adjustment is the, is the secret sauce that uh, makes uh, Bitcoin sticks together. It's, it's the glue that holds this uh, puzzle all together. In one of my talks, I also said that you know the first seven chapters of my book are just an yeah. introduction towards explaining why Bitcoin's difficulty adjustment exists. You know, <laughs> you, you it's need, that important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only way that you're going to understand the difficulty is just we have to go to the rice stones and gold and uh, and canes and go through the entire 20th century. And and I think Adam Back has, I think, said, I, I just saw yesterday, I think, somewhere, somebody shared a quote where he had said something very much to the same extent. In that the problem, obviously, with the, the digital scarcity is, is in being able to verify the supply and know how how much of the token exists out there. And if you're not going to have a central planner in charge of it that decides what the number is, you know how can you even be sure of the number that exists in terms of the system? And the various different protocols didn't have a solution for this. That's what Satoshi did. I mean, he just took, probably exaggerating here, but he may have taken essentially gold and all these previous attempts and essentially the the key thing that he you know all of the amazing technologies that make up bitcoin you know hashing and um, public key cryptography and proof of work proof of adam back's proof of yeah. work extended as exactly bitcoin is yeah all, all these things existed before and you know their difficulty adjustment is not even all of that innovative as a, as a technology essentially it's, it's not like encryption or proof of work it, it's a game theory economic issue yeah Really, you would say? Yeah, it's 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 a way essentially of making the supply irrelevant to the demand. It's 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 astonishing. What a solution! What a you know. Now it seems obvious, but it's just what Nakamoto did was you know whatever the demand is, no matter how many people are going to join the network, no matter how many people are going to mine, no matter how many people in the world are using it, it could be five kids in their basements using this currency, or it could be five billion people around the world using it. It's only going to make 50 coins every 10 minutes. And that's it. Adjust it a little bit. Like when when there's a lot of hashing power, maybe you'll make it nine minutes. And so you you actually bring forward production. Yeah. uh, And so miners... You know, miners having a tough time in turning their machines off is actually beneficial to hodlers, right? Because it slows that that flow relative to the yeah, stock. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and uh, funnily <laughs> enough, you know, it's the most genius aspect of Bitcoin as far as I'm concerned, but it doesn't quite work. Let's face it; like it aims for ten minute blocks, but we end up with uh, you know a, a, a drunken man's ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes but, much shorter, sometimes much longer. Right, but statistically, over over a two week period, I do. Yeah, uh, it you know it seems to do yeah. a pretty good job at well, it. Well, exactly. You know, technology is not about uh, perfection; it's about getting the job done, and it does the job. It has maintained more or less the, the the schedule that would have been predicted theoretically, and so it's done its job astonishingly. If you think about it, the network has grown from two people to. Tens of millions of people, arguably, and the supply has not deviated from this because of the difficulty adjustment, recalibrating the uh, mining reward to always go to a specific amount of, uh, to, to always be fixed regardless of the hashing power behind it. it. It would be curious how this would work with like time relativity when you're traveling at extremely high speeds and so time is passing at different rates for people. So, you know, if you're able to mine where 
uh, time is passing, you know, at a much slower rate than than somewhere else. You know, I I, I wonder how that might. Uh, maybe that's why he uh, had the emission end around twenty one forty. So by the time humanity actually has to deal with that, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's a moot issue. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay, so when we're dealing with this difficulty adjustment algorithm, it's using a lot of power. You know, Bitcoin is kind of like life in the sense that the monkey has to have a spot banana to eat because it has to have spot calories. And if you have future calories, the monkey's going to starve to death. <laughs> and so the Bitcoin network requires spot electricity or spot jewels and then the spot hashing power. Maybe you could talk about a little bit of the benefits and also the costs that come as a result of this. I mean, people talk about it as if it's a bad thing, um, but I think it's... Um in, in the long run, my view is that Bitcoin mining is going to be an uh, astonishingly good thing for humanity. Uh, it's just going to be a, a massive technological improvement in, in what it's going to do for us as a society. So uh, the, the, the key idea, of course, is that in order to make the money hard, you need to make it really expensive to make more Bitcoin. And in order to make the ledger incorruptible, you need to make it really expensive for people to try and mess with it. And so... Effectively, Bitcoin functions because of the massive asymmetry between committing fraud on the network and detecting fraud. It's very expensive for you to win the proof-of-work puzzle and announce it to the network and be able to be the one that amends the next block. It's expensive to, to, to get that, uh, to, to be able to, be, to, to do that. It requires a lot of investment in uh, mining equipment. But it's extremely cheap for nodes to detect that there's something wrong with your transactions. And so that just makes it very hard for people. And it seems that that security model has worked the last 10 years. And there's a distinct chance that it might continue to work. So it has to be based on this idea that you're going to be burning energy. And, you know, the problem, of course, this uh, crashes fundamentally with the perverted and twisted worldview of people who think of energy consumption as a bad thing. People who think of, with the mentality of, you know, we want to reduce our energy consumption. You know, this is as if uh, the goal of life is to live your life without spending too much energy, which is absurd as a goal because, you know, if that was the goal, you know, the easiest way to reach it is to just kill yourself <laughs> because then, you know, you go to zero energy consumption. That's the state at which you are at your most progressiveness and uh, environmental <laughs> friendliness. Uh, but, you know, this is essentially it's a culture that looks at humanity as a plague on nature. And so, which is an absolutely absurd position for a human being to have because, you know, it's, it's against all survival instincts of nature. You know, your species is, the role of your species is to continue to survive as a species, not to sit and moan um, about how we are ruining everything on the earth, as if the earth itself, you know, can experience things and suffer when the earth is just a bunch of inanimate objects. Well, what about the efficiency of the energy usage of the yeah. species? Because like Steve Jobs talks about this, looking at different species and, you know, the most efficient in terms of traveling per jewel used or whatever was like a giant condor but then you looked at a human with a bicycle and it was like 3x as efficient as the condor for distance uh, for energy use so what what about that uh and how that kind of plays in with bitcoin and pricing you know economic price signals that we get from profit and loss and economic calculation and then you know, we'll, we'll be talking about it in a different episode, but the whole concept of economic censorship also. Yeah. So, I mean, 
for me, the reason Bitcoin needs to consume all of that energy to do that is because it is good technology. The way that any good technology succeeds is that it takes something that used to take human labor and human expertise and human judgment and human fallibility into its making and replaces all of that human drama with cold, hard, impersonal, inhuman machinery that does the job beautifully. And, you know, without complaining or making any... Uh, no, no Brinks trucks, no giant central <laughs> bank buildings. Exactly. Exactly. So, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Brinks truck is just uh, a tiny little uh, uh, n- nothing in, in the general calculation. For me, the, the issue is, is it's not that Bitcoin is going to be replacing all the energy consumption of banking. Bitcoin is going to arguably consume far more than all of the banking systems of the world as they exist today, in the same way that airplanes consume much more than uh, rickety little canoes all over the world. You know, if you want to cross the Atlantic and consume less energy, take a canoe. But somehow these people who complain about it whenever they want to cross the Atlantic, particularly to attend a meeting to in Davos. about uh, <laughs> climate change, they cross it in a jet, a jet with a gigantic engine that could, you know, add so much more hash power to Bitcoin's security. But, uh, you know, these people choose to fly with it. So the, the point is that energy is not a bad thing. Energy is what makes our life, modern life possible. Energy is what has given us as a human species the ability to survive so well and to improve our quality of life. Essentially, human progress is progress in bringing more and more energy into productive use in our daily life. And so, you know, our transportation improved when we went from low energy consumption horses to high energy consumption cars because they're much cleaner, because they don't leave pounds of excrement on uh, the streets. So... You know, airplanes are much more energy intensive than bicycles, and that's why people use them. So uh, technology is just always adding machinery and the use of energy to reduce the amount of labor that we need in order to perform these tasks. In other words, increasing the productivity of human labor, increasing the reward that uh, and the wealth of the human who provides that labor. So, Well, it's better to dig a hole with a with a backhoe than with a shovel or with your hands, right? Exactly. You're, you're going to be that much more productive even though the backhoe is using more energy. Exactly. You know, building a little tent is much more energy efficient if you want than building a modern house that will protect you from rain and storms and tornadoes and thunder. And, you know, people who make this argument about needing to consume less energy don't seem to live in little teepees and uh, tents they live in modern homes with modern heating and all of the things that are necessary for our survival and there's no alternative to large amounts of energy consumption for a good quality of life in fact across the world quality of life is practically a function of energy consumption no country that has any poverty uh, that has real poverty has high energy consumption and no country with high energy consumption has any significant amount of poverty it's just it, it, it is the quality of life, how much energy you can bring to bear on doing the things that you want to do. And in places where you have to do those things with your own hand, because you don't have capital, you don't have energy intensive production, these places people are miserable and life is very, very hard. And in places where people have an enormous amount of capital and an enormous amount of energy consumption, people are able to live in peace, protected from the elements and 
protected from the cold and life is good. So then when we're looking at this, there it seems that we might have several currencies. We have time, which is the only thing truly limited in an amount. We've got energy, which is our power that we're able to harness. Now we've got Bitcoin, where we're able to store value and perform economic calculation with it. Maybe you could talk a little bit about this concept of like a world reserve currency and these different aspects between like time and energy and store value with Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the most fascinating things about Bitcoin for me is the fact that it is the first thing that's truly scarce. Uh, The first thing that humanity has ever created that's actually, well, not the first thing, but the first liquid asset that's truly scarce. Yeah, because we got Mona Lisa. Yeah, the Mona Lisa is scarce. There's only ever going to be one, but uh, this is not a very good monetary asset. And we can make lots of paintings. Exactly, yeah. And they're not easily exchangeable and transportable. And fungible and durable. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Bitcoin is the first thing that humanity has ever invented that is truly scarce. There's only ever going to be 21 million of it. And so one of my favorite economists is Julian Simon, and he, he wrote a book called The Ultimate Resource about how essentially people who worry about resources are always wrong because they think of resources as being manna given to us from heaven and that we are consuming them and then eventually we run out of them. But in reality, there's no such thing as a resource. All of these things that we think of as resources are actually the products of human labor. And the actual only there's only one real resource, which is human time. Human time is what creates the things that you call resources you know we don't just have copper falling in from a tap industrially uh, usable form in one location you, people need to dig and there's a massive industrial process involved in preparing that copper for your um, use of it and that requires people's time which under a fiat system with confiscation through inflation that's a form of taxation without representation or due process of law like vampires these monetary and political elite are able to siphon off effectively the time or the labor, the productive labor of millions of people. Uh, Whereas Bitcoin, on the other hand, is a hard, sound store of value is going to let people store the fruits of their labor much more efficiently and cheaply and protected. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, the way that I like to think of it is that every monetary asset has an imperfection, which is that more of it can be made. So when you buy copper or gold or dollars, you know, you're buying a fraction of the dollars that are existing today or copper or whatever. But there's that imperfection that somebody can make more of it. And so the larger the quantity that they can make in response to your purchase and to other people purchasing it, the worse of a money it is. The worse the money is as a form of money because essentially the value leaks out of it by the supply increasing. When you increase the supply of the dollars, the value of the dollar drops. And so every money had that leak, essentially. It's almost like an engine with a leak. Every engine that we invented before Bitcoin leaked in, in, in that sense that people could make more and therefore take some of their value of your own money in your pocket without having to put their hands in your value, pocket. Value currently in the stock. Exactly. And they're able to increase the flow and siphon off some of that stock. Exactly. So it's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a company uh, issuing uh, extra stock that uh, dilutes the shareholders' uh, uh, so, uh, you know, you're diluting the value of the money that uh, you have in your pocket. 
And Bitcoin is astonishing because, you know, Marty Rothbard had used this as a thought experiment before. He said, you know, we, I think it was in the paper called The Austrian Theory of Money, where he said, you know, ideally, if we could figure out a way that we could stop making gold or a monetary asset that doesn't increase at all would be uh, preferable. And Satoshi... Gave <laughs> Satoshi did it. <laughs> yeah, Satoshi went and did it, the savage. <laughs> so so are you asserting that Bitcoin's destiny is as the world reserve settlement currency? Destiny is a big word. I mean, <laughs> the code, you know, it's still code. It's still, we never know. It could still fail. I, I always like to keep in, in my mind that this is, you know, that there's a non-zero chance that this thing fails. Always. You never know what might happen, a bug or so on. I'd like to, to, you know, remain open to the, all, all sorts of different possibilities. But, you know, my book just studies the economics of, of this question, and I'm not interested in making predictions. I think, you know, you make your own predictions and you act upon, them, and that's what matters really. But uh, what interests me is are the economics of this. And for me, the ability to, you know, your time on Earth is finite. It's the only other thing that's finite and that's truly scarce is your time to experience the Earth and to produce and to enjoy your life. That time is finite. And every time you work, you produce value from that time. The point of producing that value usually is to save it on so that you could then consume it at some certain point in the future. And Bitcoin is the first time that you can take the value produced with your finite time and put it in something that is also finite that doesn't have that leak that's just an amazing tool for uh, society and for the individual in general well we've had just a wonderful interview with Saifedina Moose author of the Bitcoin Standard Austrian School of Economics economist talking about the store of value role with Bitcoin thanks so much for being with us thanks so much Trace Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin Guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. <laughs>